I'm Tony Shang, and I'm unemployed. And this is my show, Click Here to Apply, a podcast about finding me a job. There are so many things that I haven't done, and so many more that I don't even know exist, which is kind of crazy because work is where you spend most of your waking hours. So it stands to reason that one should spend a substantial amount of time and effort figuring out what that perfect job is for. This show is an excuse for me to do just that have semi-serious conversations with people doing fascinating things so I can learn more about what they do, how they do it, and how someone like me could get started doing it. First up, should I start a podcast with the creator of the What Bitcoin Did podcast, Peter McCormick. But before we start, an aside, just days after we recorded this podcast, Peter got embroiled in a crazy saga that had him served with defamation papers from a fraudster claiming to be Satoshi Nakamoto. Peter's principled responses led to mass exchange delistings of the Bitcoin fork the fraudster backed, Bitcoin SV which will go down in history books. We don't cover it here, but we do cover his philosophies around contentious issues, how he perceives his role in the space, and more. It's a fascinating look at both the meat and potatoes work of starting a podcast, and also some of the unique issues that growing popularity, growing awareness um, in a highly networked industry can affect your day-to-day work and life. Peter McCormick is the host of the inimitable podcast, What Bitcoin Did, uh, one of what I consider to be one of the most informative and enter- entertaining interview shows in crypto. Um, and he's also one of my favorite followers on Twitter, where he doesn't pull any punches on his opinions and uh, shares his experiences with brutal honesty. I'm really excited to have him on. And I think I'll learn a lot about whether I want to be a podcaster. Thanks for coming on, and I'm, I'm really excited to talk to you. Hey, thanks for having me on. I've been a big fan of your work for quite some time. As you know, I'm a subscriber to your email. I love reading it. I don't always understand it, but really appreciate your work. And when you said you were going to do a podcast, I thought, actually, at first I was a bit like, oh, no, another podcast. But when you told me what you were going to do, I, I knew it was going to be so. I can't wait to subscribe to it and start listening to it. Likewise. Thank you very much. Yeah, as, as I was telling you, I, I recently um, have come into a situation where I have no job and I wake up in the morning at like 4am drenched in sweat and don't know what I'm doing with my life. And I'll scroll through Twitter and just see podcast after podcast. seems like people are just getting rich selling Casper mattresses and underwear. And I thought to myself, maybe, maybe that's the gig for me. And uh, you were the first person I thought of since you've shared so openly about your experience building podcasts. I wanted to hear from you what, what that's been like and whether you think it's a good idea for people to start podcasts. I mean, yeah, I think it's great. I mean, I'm very lucky, Tony, that I'm in a position where I can do this full time and I have an income from it. And I was very lucky with the timing because I started the podcast, not with that goal, but I made some money with Bitcoin. You know, as you know, I've lost most of that now, but there was like a there was like a period where it crossed over where my money was running out, but the podcast started to earn an income. And now I'm at the stage where uh, I've got kind of about a year's worth of security with it. And what I'm always looking to do is top that up to make sure I'm, I always want to have at least like six months to a year ahead of myself, knowing I can use it and do it full time and getting to put all my effort into this means I can really work on trying to do the best job possible. And then as a side point, it's, well, there's two sides to actually, Tony, I'll, I'll be honest. Let me tell you the good and the bad. The, the good is there's a, there's a lot of good, right? There is the flexibility 
of working when you want you know i get up and i can get my kids ready to school for school take them come back i can work but if i want to go down the gym in the morning i can and if i want to meet a friend for lunch i can and if i want to do my work in the evening at seven eight o'clock i can i can kind of pick my hours and it's quite flexible and also i can travel with it so i can if i go on holiday with my kids i can go when i want i can take my gear with me and record interviews while i'm away so that side of it's really good it's uh, intellectually challenging and for somebody who's not that intellectual it's it's a really it's a really fun experience going out meeting people interviewing and learning from them and trying to improve my skills as an interview so that's also great and you know i'd be a liar if i said it's not it's not enjoyable to have a certain amount of success with it i don't mean that in any kind of pig-headed arrogant way but you know every month when i do the stats and i see how if downloads have grown that's really cool it's a really nice thing to go through you, you know because you'll do this tony and i've got no doubt you'll be a huge success but the first few months where the downloads aren't great it's, it's a bit of a challenge but once you kind of go over that tipping point you know it's great people get in touch appreciating your work people get in touch telling you they hate your work and giving <laughs> you shit for, and they give you shit for it but that's even even that's interesting because at least they're listening you know a few people have said because i'm quite defensive a few people you know you, you need to not be so defending that if you know people are talking about your work good or bad it, at least it's out there and challenging so there's so many good things about it there are there are downsides uh the two biggest ones i can think of is you know you wake up sweating you know there was there was a period where i was a bit kind of concerned that my future revenues weren't going to be enough to cover what i wanted to do with it and would have to consider some kind of part-time you know thankfully that didn't happen so you have got a revenue the other one is it also can be isolating so i don't know your previous job or whether you're in an office but i i spend all day every day on my own you know i chat to people and might have a dm with you or somebody else or have a conversation but you don't have that office environment where you're building up friendship hanging out with people and grabbing lunch after work drinks so that itself can be a little bit ice but overall i think it's net net positive it doesn't feel like a job there's no looking at the clock and you're kind of the master of your own destiny so I would say it's net positive. I would advise anyone if they want to do it, just try it. You know, uh, give me a shout if I can help in any way. Obviously, I will. Uh, but I would say it's a it's a great it's a great thing to do, and it's an industry that's continually growing. So now's a, a good time to get it. For for you, I, I think your story is really interesting because um, from what I can tell, you came into it as an outsider to crypto, and really, like I, I didn't, I don't think you had a really big following outside of crypto either. So it seems that you've built this massive thing that's now a full-time job um, from kind of scratch. And, and, and I would say that your, your podcast is probably in the top few most respected, like most community support uh, in an environment that's kind of hostile to non-technical people, to uh, outsiders. Um, why do you think that worked for you? It's a tough one to critique yourself, right? Um, and it's very hard to critique yourself, honestly, because sometimes you don't want to come across arrogant or, or, or anything. I guess w what I would say, if people said to me, you know, if, if people want to say it's a success, that's obviously I appreciate that. I don't like saying it myself. It's a weird thing to say. But if they want to, obviously, great. Um, I'm, I am aware, you know, a lot of people listen to it now. And I guess there are a few things that have happened. Um, I had a relentless hustle to get the best guests possible day one. Like I just knew I wanted to have the best guests because I know from the podcast I listen to, I've got I've got the the shows I subscribe to because I like the host, but I can't listen to them all. So I tend to go for the guests I'm most interested in. So I wanted to get the best guests possible. So I kind of from the start said I would travel. So the first 25 interviews were all done in person. I traveled out to America for LOP. I traveled out to Tokyo for, um, for Roger Veer. So that set me apart with the people I wanted to interview. They all kind of, when I said, oh, I will fly out to see you, it seemed to be an easy way to 
to knock down the doors and get those into so that helped um i have a background in advertising and marketing so i think what my podcast maybe stands out against other you know those banners when i release a show those pink and black banners they mm. they really stand out right and i was very you know that was by design to have very good marketing and branding you know a very good website as best as i could and very good seo all those things that would compound the growth because most of these podcasts right they never nobody usually fast growth it's good solid steady growth and what you want to do is keep you want to keep doing the things that add another notch to that add another you know thing that might find you five new subscribers so so i did that as well and then i guess the other thing that again it's hard to say critiquing yourself but a lot of the feedback i get is i get a lot of private feed twitter's a hostile place but i get a lot of private dms or emails where people will say to really glad that i ask the questions that i do because I tend to be exploring subjects people find confusing or difficult to ask a the question there's this like you would say say if we say in bitcoin there's like this elite tier of people who are old school bitcoiners or technical bitcoiners who are discussing great detail and that's a tough environment to go go into you know especially if you've got questions you think are dumb so I guess I'm asking questions that appeal to a lot of people. Um, yeah, I mean, that that's what I would say maybe the main three things are is the marketing, the style of interview and, and the guests. But I would be more interested to see why you like it, because if you like it, that maybe is a, is a better question to ask. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I think you nailed it. I, I think maybe it's the... Um... You're really thoughtful about curating guests, especially in sequence, more so than anybody else I've seen, really inside of crypto or outside. And they turn into these kind of like mini seasons of content, um, like the Mount Gox series of six or seven episodes was really interesting. I think you're doing one on Silk Road soon. Is that right? I'm hoping to, yeah. That, that, I mean, that, that would be killer. I think, I mean, a Silk Road podcast could probably stand on its own even. So you... And the way that you assemble those guests, you, you don't make any compromises. You're not looking for the five most convenient guests that can give their hot takes on this. You're looking for the key players there and you're doing whatever you can to get them on the mic. And they're not really, a lot of the times they're not folks that are on the podcast circuit. So this content doesn't exist anywhere else. So after, and the way you interview them is really um, un, uh, by and large unopinionated. You're just seeking to document the uh, the facts from each of those people's perspectives. And so that altogether, that creates this uh, kind of compilation of information that's really not available anywhere else. And I, I think that's super fascinating. Yeah. So there's a couple of interesting points you make there. So the Mount Cox series wasn't planned. It was a very interesting chain of events. So what happened was I had an opportunity to interview Jed when I was in San Francisco. So I did the interview and I'd been asking Mark Carpellis for an for a long time. You know, uh, he responded to me on an AMA and said he'll do it. And then I emailed and got nothing. And I spent a year emailing every month. No reply, no reply, no reply. So I had the interview with Jed and I did my research and I was just like, Stella does an intro. I kind of want to find out a bit about Mount Gox. So I did and did the interview and it was quite revealing. And then I mentioned to Mark that I'd done it and he was like, I'm ready to talk. So I said, fine, but I'm only going to do it if I can come to Tokyo, which he agreed. I was then in LA having a drink with a guy in a bar who's, you know, he's in the scene. And he said, oh, if you're doing those interviews, you want to speak to these as well. Mm. So kind of there, I was like, oh, do you know what? I should try, probably try and make this a series and document it. Now, look, in hindsight, I would have loved to have done it more like series told the story and chopped all the different bits in together you know i think that would have been a very useful way of telling the story and you know with experience i would have done that but yeah it came out of nowhere it has such great feedback that i was then considering well 
you know, there's so many podcasts out there and there's people out there doing some, some, a better job than me in certain, it's like Stefan Levera, he, that's where I go to learn. You know, if I want to learn about things, I go and learn. similar with Marty Ben, you know, he's very good on the conversational side of Bitcoin and I learn a lot. From, and Pomp is very good with the kind of Wall Street people. I started to think, well, maybe what I can do is focus a little bit more on specific topics. I've got the time to dedicate. And also it gives something for people to attach to, but there was no real plan. For and then the other thing you mentioned that's kind of interesting, I have no real agenda. So kind of I have opinions and sometimes I share, them, but also I have things that I'm thinking about where I'm kind of challenging myself. And I will share that like it's my opinion. A little bit, I guess some ways a little bit Carl Samani's mm -hmm. because I'm really intrigued to see the response. So, you know, I found myself going down the kind of max. The more interviews I did and the more people I spoke to, I just found out found that most of it was probably not so i took my way all the way up to kind of maximalism and then kind of peaked when i put out a tweet where maximalism is common sense you know debate but then i couldn't help but question i think well look how can so many people be wrong about ethereum and, and by the way i don't know right now if in five ten years time it will only be bitcoin it'll be all. but i was like and then i found myself wanting to find out about that so one of the things i tend to do with my interview i do put a lot of prep in, and i could try and understand the position of the person and then i i put myself in their shoes and agree with them and think about the things that i think they maybe are thinking about and mm. then i take the contrarian think about what somebody who disagrees with the say and then i try and construct an interview which it usually starts with me being on their side and empathize but then navigating to throwing in the more challenging contrarian or opposing views they have and i guess i think what comes out of that is is an interview that perhaps it's not hostile so I mean, apart from the one i did with today brock pierce it's not a hostile <laughs> interview we just can kind of go through these topics but it also i think it i think it disarms the guest in a way that allows me to maybe then go to some challenging subject um but yeah i guess that's that's what my approach has been turning it's it's been interesting to watch some people uh hold you to the expectation that you will dig in really hard on some of the more contentious topics with some guests as if that's a responsibility that you signed up for how do you yeah. think about that are those people even like what you'd consider to be your audience yes yeah, so you know it's a really good question and it's something i am wrestling with and adjust you know two hundred twenty thousand downloads last month i've crossed over a million you know i'll probably be able to do a million in three months where it took me 16 months to get there so i'm conscious there are a lot of eyeballs and ears on my way and i am conscious that now comes with a certain amount of responsibility not a I, like i am not responsible for what my guests say at all but i am responsible for who I curate as having a guest and the potential the potential risk or damage that having a certain person on what might so the whole Peter Rizetoff and I'm glad it happened as horrible and as shit for a couple well, multiple reasons firstly I went through the experience of cancelling an interview which I wish I hadn't have done but by going through that I learned and I kind of it was an experience for me to go, right, I'm never going to let that ever happen. That was a really bad thing. I shouldn't have done it. I'm never going to cancel a guest again. Pressure. Mm. And therefore, I can put my kind of stake in the ground and say, nobody's ever going to do that. But it was also good because it made me think about, okay, there's certain interviews I need to prep for more. Or I do, look, people come out with this, oh, you're a journalist. And I'm like, I'm not a journalist. Whether I am or whether I'm not, I still think there is some responsibility you know if somebody is an outright fraud or is putting out their full statement i don't think i have to be able to challenge but i have to be aware that it might happen and therefore i have to append the content with certain warnings so for example i did another interview and i've sent that to somebody somebody who's actually given me a bit of shit i've agreed to send it to them and they're going to review it and double check it i've also got i'm also getting help on certain interviews with with prep but at the same time look i don't feel i don't feel it's a problem that i can't ask the more technical 
technical questions because it's I see it swings around about because I'm not technical it means I think of things in a way that maybe the technical people wouldn't and therefore are asking questions they maybe not and a great example is with my lightning month I'm using that at the moment and more often than not I'm going huh what I don't get this I don't understand channels what the hell does that mean and I think that's really useful because if I don't understand that there's going to be a shitload of other people so right. I think it's I think it's very difficult to find somebody who is both very technical and is able to think from a non-technical point uh, but yeah no it's, it's been a real challenge and I'm definitely adjusting I'm more than transparent but even if I am defensive if somebody wants to have a pop at me I'll probably be defensive first then go and have a think about it and if I think they're right I'll come back probably but it's uh yeah it's definitely a challenge I mean I don't I didn't I didn't create this to create a big podcast. I just did it. I can't even give you a real plan. And then suddenly it's just grown into this thing that, you know, that I'm really proud of, but a lot of people are judging, right? Yeah. I mean, well, I want to circle back to the, uh, all of the work you're doing to kind of ensure that you're representing the information the way that you think is the best way to represent it and all that kind of stuff today. Um, but I also want to get a sense for, I mean, why did you start in the first place? And and in the early days, I think you mentioned that you, you worked on this for over a year with no monetization. Um, and most, a lot of your growth has come in the recent months. Um, there must have been times when you're like, why am I doing this? Is this even worth it? Well, um, only twice. After my third interview with Lop, which I loved, I just thought, you know, the downloads were very last. Like, why am I doing this? Can't be bothered. And I didn't do, <laughs> then do I didn't then do another show for a few weeks. And then I did it again. And then I haven't stopped. I've never missed a week. Uh, really? Wow. Have, yeah. I have two a week now. And I missed one show. One week I did one. That was after Mount Gox because I was just like, did a show every day. And I felt like it, uh, that happened. And then the only other time I questioned was when all the stuff kicked off with Peter Ryzen because what happened was, you know, I, I was on a plane, whether it was right or wrong for me to invite him on as a guest, the pressure that came on was pretty intense. And then I got a flight to Hong Kong and I got off the plane and there was no Wi-Fi at the plane. And I got off, my phone had thousands of comments, called scammer, I had emails, like 20 DMs, people just... It was intense. I didn't know what the right decision was. And I was just, is this really, really worth it? But like, but that's it. I'm, I'm kind of, if anything now, that was, um, I definitely wouldn't undo it. I'm glad I've been through it. I've learned a lot from it and hopefully it will make for, for a better show. But sorry, I forgot your other question. <laughs> Oh, that uh, it, it was about um, uh, the early days, like your your early motivation. But we we can come back to that. The on the on the Ryzen stuff, that's really fascinating because it's that brigading from the internet, that horrible, toxic, viral brigading, is also uh, is enabled by the same thing that makes it possible to reach you know, millions of people with the podcast. And it's 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 kind of like I, I haven't gotten it bad yet in my career. I'm still waiting for the day that that's going to happen. Cause I know that if I continue to be public and put out content, it just one day it's going to happen. And it really seems like at a certain point, uh, no matter who you are, once you're visible enough and you're prolific enough, something's going to cause that kind of avalanche of shit, which has driven a lot of really talented people off of platforms, um, which is a huge shame. Yeah. But I guess it depends how you react to it. Like Tony, you're just a really nice guy. And I, I watched, um, I watched a panel you were on with Catherine Wu as well, actually, like you're a reason smart and nice guy. I can be a bit of a prick. I can be, I know <laughs> what I'm like. Uh, I don't know what it is. I just, it's a combination of, I, I enjoy, I enjoy a bit of troll. I do. I, I think it's funny sometimes. Yeah. I'm, I'm one of those can give it, but can't take it when it's given back to me. I can react bad. I probably tweet too much. Much, I probably respond too much. So a lot of my problems are probably self-inflicted by ha how I've reacted. So I think if you do, I think you'd be fine. But I think you've probably got a calmer head. You'll probably react in a much better way than I would. We'll see. When it happens, I'll, I'll ca call you crying and 
need 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 some coaching um for uh the oh shoot i had a do you want me to circle back and how we started oh no no okay i remember now okay so um on the on the trolling and controversial stuff there's a lot of studies that show that being kind of on the edge is the winning strategy for internet content um I face that a lot. Like I, I think about uh, whether I should publish this thing that's like not really edgy and not close to, uh, not like partisan by nature. Partisan, like more partisan stuff does really well. If I do, if I write something that's like supportive of a big project, like Ethereum or something, then that'll get very popular because all of the people that want to cheerlead Ethereum are gonna jump on it. Ethereum, just as an example, um, or something really controversial that like really upsets, say, you know, Ethereum again. Um, people are gonna share it because they're angry with it. Do you think about that very much with with the work that you do? Do you try to um, find stuff that's kind of riding that edge to appeal to more people when you're selecting guests or um, thinking about what content to include in the episodes? No, not well. What's the the very honest way is that I'm aware it can probably drive up the downloads. Right? I got a I got a I got a boost of awareness around all that time it kicked off and. I would say since then, there's probably been a, I could probably attribute about 10% growth to that, right? But I was growing fine without that. And my fastest growth was coming at a time when I was only talking about Bitcoin and I wasn't being, and mm-hmm. all, all, if, you know, if I go and look at my, I've got my actual downloads in front of me now. So if I go and have a look, you know, say I'm averaging, I don't know, 10 to 14,000 downloads per show. Say it's about 12, it's about 12 or 13,000, right? But let's go and have a look at, um, so I interview, uh, Andrew Polstra. That's a 14,000 show, right? If I go then and interview the, let's see, the couple of Ethereum guys about that, that is a just reaching 10,000. I tend to mm. find my non-Bitcoin shows are 10 to 15% less. So my choice of guests, if I just want to grow, is my best strategy right now would be Bitcoin only, become the poster child for Bitcoin in terms of uh, a podcast and just keep growing. Like there's enough of an audience there. If you look, if you go Reddit and see the following of the Bitcoin subreddit, there's clearly a huge audience of Bitcoins right. to go after. So choosing non-Bitcoin guests to be controversial doesn't actually improve my downloads or every, um, it, it actually, it, it, it causes a drop off. Secondly, am I being controversial? It's being controversial, say on Twitter. I mean, I know I'm controversial sometimes, but I don't sit there and go, right, I'm going to write this tweet because I wanted to cause a whole bunch of arguments and then people are going to be aware of my podcast. It's going to increase down. I don't, I don't do that. You're not doing that. Yeah. You're not planning that. No, it just doesn't go through my mind. When I post Mm -hmm. something up, it's, it's very reactionary. Usually I'm like, I've just thought of an idea. I'm like, okay, I'm going to put it out there. Um, sometimes I'm like, you know, trolling for a little bit, like Vitalik, when he tweeted the other day about why are these BSV shields being given a stage at Deconomy? Um, and it's especially this time, a whole panel. And I just replied, what right do you have over them to have a, uh, a place at the conference? Now, look, <laughs> yeah, that's, that. <clears throat> well, that's controversial, right? Because firstly, it's like, uh, it's clearly an obvious that BSV is a dumpster fire of, of scammy bull. That's, that's so obvious. At the same, and at the, if I had to grade it, I would grade it significantly worse than Ethereum. But at the same time, I am getting people telling me all the time that Ethereum is a scam, it's run by scammers, they can't deliver on their promises, they're always changing what they are, blah, 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 and it's made a bunch of billionaires. So at the same time, it's there's the best thing you can do is probably grade this, but it's all subjective at times as well. So I put that out there as a controversial question, but I don't do it because... 
I want to increase awareness. I'm intrigued by people's reaction. Yeah, how are people going to react? Will Vitalik react to that and give me a justification why he deserves a stage more than BS? Are people going to come in and agree with me? I'm really intrigued by the human responses, but never do I do something thinking this is good for the show. <laughs> yeah, I think like, I, I see, I see um, from afar, it looks a lot like you're exploring with kind of a beginner's mind all over the place. And it started with Bitcoin and now you are looking around at things beyond Bitcoin, not necessarily because you're interested in supporting this project or that project or tearing down this project or that project. It seems like you're just in good faith trying to understand what the facts and who's involved and what they think, um, which uh, which and it's kind of interesting to hear that 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 process isn't um, is actually running counter to your like business objectives. I wouldn't have expected that. Yeah, I mean, if you like, I'm, I've disclosed my holdings now. I own a small amount of Bitcoin and a small amount of Monero, and um, I do that because I hundred percent believe in Bitcoin. It's not. Uh, it's not. I've got no doubt in uh, Bitcoin. Proven. It works. It works for me as a store of value. And it also works for me as a tool. Pay people in Bitcoin, I get paid in Bitcoin. Hmm. And the process of using that is far better having a business which is international than um, than using bank. You know, if I issue an invoice, I had to issue an invoice to a company in Hong Kong. It paid me in Bitcoin and I'd received it within like 90 minutes and it was in my bank account within a couple of hours. You know, going via the banks to do that is, is a pain. So it's proven to me. I've got no question over it. I'm a big supporter. Viva la Bitcoin. Let's, you know, let's move on. If I look at something like Ethereum, I genuinely don't know. I have a lot of doubts about it. There's a lot of it that seems, I'm like, really, you want to put all this stuff on, on a blockchain? And then I'll read the technical specs, Ethereum 2, and I'm just, huh, this sounds like NASA-level engineering for a database of sorts that needs to be decentralized. And there's so many conflicting arguments. You know, there are clearly hundreds of thousands of people probably working on Ethereum. How can they all be so wrong? And then there are tens of thousands of people in Bitcoin who are like, Ethereum is a scam. It's bullshit. Trying to find the truth in that is really, it's really hard. And I, I'm interested for two perspectives. I'm, I'm interested in navigating it and just you know finding out for myself. But I'm really a lot more interested about finding people's motivations. So a, a really interesting position that I hold. I'm not sure if I said this publicly, and it's the kind of thing will get me probably hated on and shouted at for. But I would be very interested in some kind of mapped some kind of mapping which correlates how maximalist a bitcoiner to how much bitcoin they hold and how long they've been involved because sometimes i wonder if it's a defensive move because these people have got so much bitcoin that they want to protect or if they 100 percent believe that bitcoin is the only the only use i'm really intrigued to know that and i think it's i think it's really unfair to expect someone to come to bitcoin say say someone hears about bitcoin today i think it's really unfair for them to come in when there's the, the there's you know 17 million have already been issued the price is at a scary four thousand uh, pounds and expect them to just to wake up and be a max i think it's i think we need to have a lot more empathy about why some will come in and go on coinbase and say oh there's this bitcoin cash thing oh well that's cheaper that sounds interesting oh look there's this like that's cheaper and they go online and they read different use cases i think we need to be a lot more sympathetic to to that view and and i'm i like exploring what that is and why people have them hold them yeah i mean i think uh, i've for, for whatever reason i've been thinking about that a lot over the last few weeks too. Um, the the uh, the distortion that holding a coin can have on somebody's reality manifests in lots of ways, like really directly in this social jostling for um, like hits and wins against competing protocols over social media, but also in the ability for to to get 
um, developers to commit to developing on the platform and stuff like that. In, in a way, I think um, the this the this is where a broader and more established token distribution becomes a property of the network. And whether or not uh, Bitcoin is whether or not some percentage of Bitcoin evangelists are evangelists because of their uh, exposure to Bitcoin um, kind of becomes less relevant if it becomes like an actual property that makes Bitcoin more uh, attractive to more people. And so the, the only the other side of that is if there's a world where it requires you to have that longstanding relationship with Bitcoin to believe in the stories that people are telling about Bitcoin, then you can't ever attract new people. Um, and I, I don't really have a really uh, clear perspective on which are the dominant forces in all of this, but I, I too find it endlessly fascinating. And I, I think something that if some people have been frustrated with me about is that I'm hard to, my, my like allegiances or uh, beliefs are hard to pin down. And, and that's because I, I really just don't have strong feelings about it yet. I, I'm more interested in just understanding, like you, what people's motivations are, how different scenarios impact people differently, um, stuff like that. Well, it's, yeah, I mean, motivations are hugely important here. You know, if I sit down in the pub with some of my friends and say, you know, you really need to take a look at Bitcoin and take it seriously, because this is the best form of money we've ever had. It's the hardest form of, you know, and then start, start trying to talk to them about government inflation and, and uh, the, the, the faults with Keynesian theory. They're just going to go, huh? I don't, I don't give a yeah. fuck. It's uh -huh. not going to care. And so the only way you can get most people like with trying to sell them on an opportunity of price speculation, and uh, which I don't really do, what will happen is we'll get another bull run and people will start getting interested. And then at the point the prices go stupid, that's when they'll finally buy and, it'll be, and hopefully they'll yeah. learn and they'll be there for the next one. But Bitcoin doesn't offer a huge amount of utility for enough people. It has the potential to, but it's just not there. You know, there are definite and clear, there is a definite use case for me sending and receiving money into me because I'm doing, and there's a definitely a use case like the Silk Road was a great use, and it's such a shame it doesn't exist because it's a great use for you to have the right to make personal decisions about what you want to put in your body in a safer and, and a better environment and private. But for most people, there, there isn't that. Most people, I, I would say, I would love to know the numbers of people that truly are only involved in crypto for financial gains in fear, because I suspect that's the majority. It's got to um, be. Yeah, it's got to be. You know, if you, you know, everyone's talking about oh, the next bull run, when's it going to come? There's very few talking about the actual tech. Totally. Um, so, but it's such an interesting, Tony, it's such an interesting thing to explore. And what ends up happening is in exploring that now, strange, you also have people, you piss people off, which I naturally do with it. And also you end up putting out, like I will put out controversial questions or controversial statements because I want to find the answer, but I do so probably potentially pissing people off or sometimes just saying things that sound dumb. You know, in hindsight, I'll look at, yeah, that was a bit dumb, but I'm putting it out most of the time because I want to find answers, you know. So for example, an interesting thing at the moment, I have a certain amount of empathy for why some people like big block and some like bitcoin cash i think if you get if you take yourself beyond the fact that it's called bitcoin cash let's just imagine they'd called it something else. let's just imagine they hadn't had a big kind of war and tried to activate s2x just imagine a group of people said look we don't agree with this scaling we're going to go and do our own thing we're going to fork bitcoin and we're going to call it something else you do what you do we you know imagine no hostility now i understand why some people would want to do that despite all the technical arguments for, for why big blocks don't work and despite all the economic arguments, i still can empathize why a group of people did that and a group of people support that because they have a different one 
want or expectation or need out of Bitcoin. The majority of people and the people I stand by stand for decentralized Bitcoin has to be decentralized. It's important that we keep blocks small so as decentralized as possible. So enough people can be running so blocks can be as small as possible. I get it and I agree with it, but I can still, if you want to buy some Bitcoin cash, pay me, you can go on exchange, you can get some, and you can send it to me, Tony, and I can then sell it. So on a certain level, the technology works. It, it just isn't as decentralized as, as, um, as Bitcoin, and it might have all these other flaws. But I still empathize, and I'm interested in exploring exploring that and seeing it. Does that make sense? Totally, yeah. I think, and I think you're the being willing to work hard to understand perspectives that don't make sense and that most people would brush off as just idiotic or malice, full of malice or um, bad faith. I think that that's going to be increasingly useful. I don't I don't see these conflicts going away. If anything, I, I see them increasing. Have you, this kind of uh, separate but kind of related topic, have you thought about turning the podcast into, or have you thought about turning the content and the relationships, the experiences from the podcast into other formats? Like I could see you writing a killer book about some of these things or spinning off the podcast into a documentary or like, is that on your radar at all? Totally. It's, you know, it's a really, it's really like front of mind right now. So I thought about book. The problem with the book is I'm not a very good writer. Like I think I can, so I've written some things that are up on my meme. I wrote a thing about, it was like a letter to the banks. Did you ever see that one? Yeah, that was great. Yeah. So that, that, but that took me so long, right? <laughs> that probably took me as long as it takes somebody to write two or three chapters. Um, and I've written, written other things and I think I can structure things that I'm comfortable, but I don't think I'm a very good writer. Um, so I think I would need to work with someone and I'm not sure the reward is there. So firstly, you've got to say is the financial reward because I'm onto a good thing with, with the podcast. It's going well. Is the financial reward there? Probably not. Um, and and it's just, it just doesn't suit me, but I am interested in more media. So the two things I'm looking at, one, I'm going to about to launch a sister podcast which i've been talking about for about six seven months got something in the can but i want to do a sister podcast which is a very similar feel but not tied to bit mm. so i i want to like i really enjoyed my interview with the porn star about the sex into what the difficulties of sex being deplatformed or the impact of free pornography on um the rates that uh, actresses and actors can earn and therefore what situations that they can end up finding themselves in which are more challenging I found that super interesting because it's it's one of those kind of taboo subjects i really enjoyed interviewing lynn albrecht the first time because we didn't really talk about it. and i really enjoyed doing my interview with andrew torber discussing censorship so i've got a got a pressing need like that that's within start doing alternative in start doing other things so i'm going to launch that and i am also interested in i think i might be i think i might have a document i'm not sure i have to be mm. realistic but i think i can structure a story and i've got this kind of work in type the battle for bitcoin where i would like to do a documentary which which basically goes through the scaling war and um segwit 2x and the fork but in a way tells a story to to a wide broad public rather than to the crypto community and so i am interested in doing that but all of this it comes down to finance and time you know so i'm I'm definitely interested in doing more of it, but I've got to I've got to raise more fund sponsors or advertise to to do that. But no, I'm definitely it's, you've you've hit the nail on the head. There. Yeah, it must be for especially as a one man show by and large. Um, you got you must have hard prioritization choices because one hour spent on the main podcast leads to direct revenue for your business. An hour spent daydreaming about something else uh, is not an hour contributed to the main business. So you have to do that yeah. math. Yeah, I mean, my focus is on the main business 
and everything else I want to do and launch will come with sponsors. So if I find a sponsor, so for the next podcast, I kind of want to find someone who will just take out a year sponsorship and I'll say, look, this is what I've done with podcast A. This is what I think I can do with podcast B. You know, this is what I would like. I would like to have one sponsor for the year so I can just focus on it. But if I raise enough money for a sponsor there, I can then turn around and go, right, I'm going to get a full time assistant who's going to do all the write ups and publishing of my podcast, which for each episode will save me, say, 10 hours. Mm. So those 20 hours a week, I say, I've got to do one or two interviews for my other podcast. So, so that's the kind of that's the kind of challenge and the things I'm weighing up to. But um, yeah, I'm a hard worker, so you know I'll find a way. But I'll probably launch this podcast, whatever. I've got a real curiosity to broader and more challenge to boost up. That's awesome. I would, um, to be honest, I'd be more interested in that podcast than crypto podcast. Yeah, that's what that's what I think. I think it's got a. It's a funny one because if you're broad, you've got a you know a broad potential listener base but if you if you're niche you can really like i i could work and work and work and my podcast is probably i i think if you went on downloads maybe mine's in the top four or five i guess i'm up there like i guess laura's way out in front of me but you've got pomp you've got epicenter you know you've got um uh, whatever but you've got four or five you know up there and two or three sna- snapping on the, the heel uh, and but to try and get that in like a broad subject you know i'm millions of millions of down behind someone like uh, joe rogan or, right. or tim ferrett tim ferris yeah. right so maybe it'll be harder because people have got they've already got a t- podcast they're attached to so it's going to come with different challenges um one thing i was you know i did the sex worker episode and i thought that was a really important subject and the downloads were pretty crap i was really disappointed with that hmm. so so that's why I, that's why i think i yeah i think people will listen to my show for bitcoin some people will listen to broader stuff I think if I can build a broad audience who are interested in how I explore topics, then an interview like that would be better suited to the other podcast. Interesting. Yeah. People uh, just kind of switching the expectations of the audience to better fit with those broader interviews might um, increase the engagement for that podcast. Yeah, I think I think you've nailed it. Um, let's talk about podcasting in, in general. Uh, I, I think you mentioned being a hard worker. I, I remember you had talk to Pomp about having a 60 point checklist that you send to everybody who's starting a podcast. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Do you, do you want, do you want to see it yourself? I do. Yeah. Send it to me after, Yeah, but I'm I'm just curious, what are like the big sections? What takes up the most time? Right. So I can do the workflow now without actually I'm pretty nailed down. Um, but there's like a primary workflow, which is a section where it just says, you know, record interview. The next one is send files to engineer, record intro, outro, and ad break. Send that to the engineer, receive cleaned up file, prep and launch for patrons, um, send for transcription create website listing, receive final audio and publish, right? But then you go into subsections. So for example, if I say uh, audio prep, so I review it and create my note and then I create a script for my intro and outro and then I write my ad scripts and then do an engineered version of the show which goes to patron. I then record my script, engineer the full episode and uh, that, that's that section. If you go to something like, you know, uh, add to website, it's log into Squares, go to podcast section, duplicate previous post, change title, change premium. You know, it's just a, the list of every single job i have to do to get it get it live um but yeah i can do it now without referring to it sometimes i go back and go something um but yeah i mean there's i i'm militant i so i run this thing like a business so that's and i don't shy away from saying that and and i'm very disciplined behind the scene with that you know 
beyond this checklist, I've also got like the spreadsheet, you know, so I've got guest planning. So who the guests, who they were, when's the interview? I've created an algorithm. So I've got a countdown the number of the days to, the, you know, have I recorded it yet? Is it live? Um, and then on top of that, I've got like a sheet with all my show stats or I've got target guests who I want. I've got all these lists and things, which I work on, spreadsheet, run it, but it's run like I don't show. What's a, what's something that you do that you that most people don't do that you think makes a big difference for your podcast? Great question. Um, I think focus on the branding, uh, you know, which some people are going to hate that as an answer. Oh, it's a gimmick and you're just, you're just a marketing person, blah, blah. You don't know. Right? <laughs> I, I think I really focus. And when I say marketing, that's broad. So the, the title of the interview, I think is really important. I think it's super. Now it's not clickbait, but for example, when, when I interviewed Andreas, I don't want to go into every interview and they have the same interview. When I went into Andreas, I was like, what do I want to know? I want to know what Andreas thinks, what what the world, what life is going to be like when Bitcoin. So I ask him about that. And then the title of the show is what, what happens when Bitcoin takes over. Huh. And I think that's a really, I think that's going to draw somebody in and go, okay, I want to hear about it because that's, that's more interesting than interview with Andreas. It's what Andreas thinks will happen when Bitcoin takes over. Right. So that's part of the marketing. As I've said, the branding, you know, I'm, I've got my color scheme, black and pink. It really stands out. I produce those banners. Um, so I would say, I, I'm not saying everyone doesn't do that, but I, I would say within within bitcoin podcasts i i would say i probably do that uh i'd maybe focus on that a bit more but that's that's not me trying to take away from anyone else um i just think i i do do that what else do i well i, I, think, I think i would as a as a consumer of your stuff i definitely find your new episodes more um I, i'm more aware of your new episodes because I can see just from the corner of my eye that that's an image of a new What Bitcoin Did podcast. And I can't say that for any other podcast, really. Yeah, it's, it's a hard question to answer because I wouldn't want anyone else who does a podcast to listen to it. Oh, shut the fuck up, Pete. You don't know. I do that as well. And, <laughs> and you know what? I'm fortunate. I had 20 years working in advertising, so I know all the tools used. I've got a, a, a certain amount of eye for design and things like that. Um, I would say the other thing I very few other people do is I work on this full time. You know, a lot of people doing podcasts have full time jobs and they don't have the time. You know, I can, you know, when I did my first Roger Veer interview, I spent three days work, two days. So basically a day on a flight and then two days locked in a hotel, prepping, you know, reading. So I don't think a lot of people have the time to do that. So I think, I think that's something I do, but that's, I'm probably, I'm lucky to be in a position I can do that. Like Pomp, you know, in our interview, he admitted it. He just turns up to an interview and he just, he can just ask a question. And he does it, and he does it really well. I, you know, spend a long time prepping. Um, and do, I, do you want to hear? Some... Do you want to hear a funny story about Pump? Yeah. So sure. in, in your episode, he mentions that a guy calls him for advice. Do you remember that? Kind of, yeah. So he, he says, "Yeah, it was me." So I, I called him. I was like, "Yo, how do you do things?" And a lot of them go really well while having like four full time jobs because. Because I'm kind of the same. I always have a few things running at the same time because I'm interested in a lot of stuff. Um, yeah. I don't, and and I I always kind of I feel like I self sabotage a little bit. I do <laughs> I stand up things and then I'm I never really want to make it a, a clear business because that kind of ruins it or something. Or or maybe I'm just afraid that if I actually try hard and it doesn't succeed wildly, I'll feel bad about myself or something like that. I don't know. But I was looking at Pop and I was like, wow, you're doing all of these uh, kind of building and investing things that I like to do and are kind of core to my my work. But you're also doing these kind of creative and content things that I really enjoy doing and I'm starting to um, kind of monetize. And so I called him and and I, I learned 
uh, I took away a lot from it. It was really amazing conversation. He's uh, I, most of all, I he just left a really strong impression of me on how um, just picking up the phone for somebody and just like being available and listening to them and helping them with your own experience can leave such a positive impression. Because like I'm, I'm mm-hmm. gonna pay back someday. I don't know how, but and I, I don't think he wants me to or doesn't expect it. But like he has like he has an ally in me from from that conversation. But the the funny part of it is. Uh, he, he was talking about his newsletter, which is great. Like he has an awesome newsletter. He gets a lot of shit for a lot of stuff he does, but he actually, it's a high signal newsletter. Um, and he's consistent, reliable, agree. And I, I think a lot of his takes are insightful. And he said, yeah. And so I, I decided to write this newsletter. Uh, it doesn't take that much time. You just kind of sit down in the morning, write a little bit, put it out. I'm like, bro, <laughs> writing that much every morning sounds like so much work. I put, I was just reflecting on how much work I put into my my two a week, and he was like, yeah, it's just you know, just go sit down, and do it. And so I just, <laughs> it really, it really uh, was frustrating to hear. But it also, you could also tell that he's just doesn't stop working. He's just a machine he, about work. He is a machine. And do you know what? I'm. Uh, there are times where I've. Um, there was a time. I even said this to him. There was a time I didn't want to like him. I just didn't, but I, but I couldn't help but like him. But I didn't exactly. want to. I, I kind of, I kind of saw him as a competitor. Do you know what it was? I launched a podcast, but all this work, he comes out. I said to him like a Ferrari, just goes past <laughs> me, like just so easily, and did it. And look, he's not. Look, he's a marketing person, so he gets marketing, he gets branding. He's very good at. Um, and some, I don't agree with every one of his takes. And. He gets some wrong, right, in my view. But he doesn't, he's not ashamed. He puts it out there. He says what he thinks and he moves on. He takes, he takes the flack, but he doesn't argue back with anyone, which I think is, but he has also got so much time for anyone. Like if I know right now, if I text Pomp and say, look, I've got a question, he'll be like, okay, you're free in 20 minutes. I'll be like, yeah, he'll get on the phone and he'll give me his time. I know he gets up at like half four, five in the morning every day and works and he just grinds and grinds and grinds. And if you work that hard because you're ambitious, but you're in the world of Bitcoin, you're going to get some people's backs up you just you know you just are that that is a reality of it but he doesn't care i think he is net positive even if some of his takes are wrong he is net positive and he is bringing people into i'm a huge fan and i will def i will definitely defend it yeah i think he's a great guy yeah absolutely what's I also um, think most i think most people if they met him and actually hung out with him they would form a very different totally yeah but that i mean th- this is a whole nother topic of online identities in various contexts versus who you are as a whole person and all that kind of stuff um but I, 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 I probably similar to you was would look at him online and be like, what is this guy doing? And then after a while, I was like, oh my God, this guy's, he's got a playbook he's running and it's genius and it's working. Um, it's totally working. Yeah, it totally works. I totally, and it's amazing. It's been incredible to and it doesn't suit me i can't do what he does because it isn't that it doesn't a person i think if anything my online persona actually really reflects me as a, a person uh I, I probably probably come across a bit more hostile and a bit more of a, a dick on but generally speaking i'm i'm quite transparent um i'm quite open and i'm just like a guy from a small town called bedford in, in england and i think i'm pretty much what a um you mentioned that something that gives you an advantage is that you're committing full-time work to it and I, I can mm-hmm. see, um, like I mentioned before, you get way better guests uh, because of that. And you're able to have conversations in more depth than somebody who, who wouldn't prepare as much. Do you, do, you think, um, do you think that one that feels like doing a podcast kind of on the side or as a hobby should think twice about doing it no, or approach it differently? Um, I mean... I'm a big fan of side gigs, you know. I mean, essentially, my podcast started as a as a side gig because at the time I was a I thought I was a trader. Clearly, um, <laughs> it was a side gig, and I, 
it depends what your goal is. Um, so I put out those income full transparency about, and I do that with like, like I'm fully aware now that when the numbers, are, you know, it, it will maybe trigger people in a different way. And also I'm fully aware that I'm going to put one out soon where the numbers maybe have dropped and there are going to be people who are going to be smart and happy about it. But I am conscious that that's maybe putting that out there has probably influenced. Well, I know for a fact that at least two people saw that and they've wanted to do a pocket back. Mm. And I think you've got to get the end right. I, I think it's very hard to go out there and create a podcast and be making 10 10,000 20,000 whatever dollars it's not that it's impossible but you have to you have to put the hard yards in so you know if you if you look at my um income so my first revenue month it was august 18 so that's 1700 dollars. now if you think the podcast had been going nine months at that point before I got any money. But prior to launching the podcast, I'd spent about six months with a blog writing, which most of it was nonsense and deleted now. And before that, I'd spent, I'd, I'd essentially been in Bitcoin crypto for 20 months before I got my first revenue. So I wouldn't say not do it as a side gig, just have the expectation that if you're, if you're doing this to create revenue, it's going to take time. You've got to focus on building a great product and an audience first because you know unless you're getting you know a few thousand people a month listening podcast you're not really going to make it so i would right. say yes do it but just get your expectation got it uh, well so i mean for, for me uh i find i i i mentioned to you earlier that i had launched a podcast back in 2013 and did seven or eight episodes um and mostly that was an excuse to just chat with people that i thought was interesting and have conversations that are um a little more structured about their beliefs about the world and how they approach things. Uh, so selfishly, I think even for, for me, even if I didn't make a cent from this, even if it didn't have many downloads, I'd be pretty thrilled to just be able to jam with people that I think are interesting. You know, like I'm, I'm having a great time talking to you because I would love to do it whether or not there's like a recorded format um, here. But I, I guess I'm curious about the moment in time where you can see the potential of it being a business. And what kind of behaviors you have to take when you see that and want to actually take advantage of it? Oh, that's a really great question, but a really tough one to answer because you try, I'm trying to remember specific things that, that don't stand out. I'm trying to, that, like, I can't think of times where I specifically thought, oh, but I guess, I guess when, oh, it's a really, really good question. So what I would say is that if I'd have started out from the outset with how I'm organized now, I would have done things very differently. What happens is just over time, I learn or things started to change. Like these, all these big spreadsheets I had, I never had them. I just, I just didn't have them. I don't think there is a fixed time that anything specifically happened. I just think it all evolved. You know, I, I started releasing the podcast and then I, I realized actually I should have it on YouTube so there's more people. And then suddenly the to-do list got, gets quite big. So it goes from being... The to-do list originally was just like um, a list in Word of like 20 items. Then it became 30 items. So they became catch. And then it made sense to put it in Wonder List so I could duplicate it for each show. And then it was, then I was wanted to, when I got my first sponsor, I wanted to have stats. So then I created a stats spreadsheet where I keep track of that. And then I started looking at the downloads of the website and realized, oh, actually, the website could do better. How do I improve for SEO? So I just think like most businesses, it's just evolved over time. And there are things that I've done better and better. But if you're asking, how do you get to that point as a new person? I think you just, if you, if you're doing this to make money from the very start, you've got to craft a very good product. But I don't know. I don't think I've answered your question there because i don't know how to answer well i think what i'm getting is it's one of those things where you for for whatever reason you have um a vision that evolves over time or at least a sense of like is what i'm making good or bad and then behind the scenes you have all these ops that 
are good enough to get your episodes out in the beginning. And then over time, they get better and better. Along the way, other people are also liking what you're putting out. And so you reach a point where it's actually makes any sense at all to talk to advertisers and monetize the the podcast. Um, but but I think what I'm hearing from you is it wasn't as if that there was one big inflection point. It was just slow, methodical growth episode by episode. And then um, adding things that make it more viable as a business until it was. Yeah. I tell, I, tell, I tell you what, there are things I can tell you that did stand out. That might be something helpful. When I got my first ad, first proper ad deal, not my first person who sponsored, somebody who came in and wanted to take out a three-month sponsor. That for me, a moment where I realized this is like, this is serious. They're spending big money. You know, we were talking thousands of dollars. I was with ad script. I had to schedule them dates. I couldn't miss a show. I couldn't have a week where I go, oh, you know, I'm only going to release one because I've got promised inventory. I needed to do reporting. So that that became a very there was a shift then to professionalize the back office of what I hmm. but but with that, what happened was I then also was like, well, look, this if one person company is willing to advertise, maybe more work. So that that created a kind of chain reaction of things that I started to do. So despite my Twitter behavior, it's a very professional operation behind the scenes. And if you spoke to any of my sponsors, you know, I would assume they would I would hope they would say they're very happy. You know, they get reports from me at the end of each month that tell them like the ads gone, the performance, they get told all the future stuff that's coming up from me. Um, I've got a rate card, like I've got lots of things in, in the back office to make this run. So so it is a gradual overtime. Thing. Again, I've not answered. It is a gradual overtime. When I got my first proper sponsor, that changed everything. Mm. Yeah, it, was, it sounds like it was a forcing function to really rapidly professionalize. Yeah, yeah, it, it was because my my goal up until the first sponsor was to grow the downloads, but not for the sake of downloads. I mean, it's very easy to get downloads, but was to grow downloads, build an, a core audience and a product and just focus on that. Once I had revenue, it was therefore about building a professional operation so that my sponsors are not, you know, they feel happy with what they're sponsoring. But at the same time, I, I had to create a separation between them and the show, right? So, you know, if you go and listen to my interview with Zach, it's on SoundCloud with Zach from BlockFi with, you know, their latest product. You know, I asked him about his influence on the show. They've got no influence on my editorial ever. I can have any guest I want. And, um, and we have a very strong relationship that goes back and forward but yeah it is now a business and the other thing is tony I, I i've said this before i said to pomp i don't want to fuck this up you know i do mm. not want to screw this up because i don't want to go and find another job and career i love doing this. so because of that i have to kind of maintain professional back office operation that makes a ton of sense has has um how has building this business with kids influenced your approach if at all uh it, it, again so so yeah, when I I used to have a successful company in London, you know, good standard of live. We peaked at 2.7 million turnover of pounds, British pounds. So I was never rich. You know, you never really get the money in your pocket because as you grow a business, you start paying taxes in advance. Growth. The only way you ever you ever make money with a company is if you do exceptionally or with high margin. You sell it, or actually the company shrinks. At a time when a company shrinks, you start to make money because you start paying out less than the previous invoices coming in. But as you're growing, you're constantly reinvesting. But I grew this business, had a nice income. Um, good standard of living got divorced the whole thing collapsed um you know my kids are in a in a good school and i didn't want to take them out so i have to i have to make sure that i can earn a living while at the same time i'm around for them so i can't just go to london and get a you know, six-figure salary because i have to my son lives with me full-time my daughter's 50 50 i have to be be around for them so 
one of the things I, I focus so hard on, making sure that I still provide them what they need. And hopefully at some point save to have some kind of pension and uh, maintain a standard of living. So I have a duty to, to my children. Otherwise, you know, if this fails and I have to get a job, a lot is going to change for them. They're either going to be raised by childminders, you know, or, or, or something else is going to happen. But I have a, you know, I have a lot of pressure. Also, though, it's a very cool job to have because they're very interesting. I can come back and share knowledge and experience. Mm. So, yeah, my son's nearly 15 now. He know he doesn't know, he, know, he hasn't listened to and I don't want him to listen to it, but I talked to him a little bit about the episex. You know, I don't want him to, I'm perfectly aware by his age, he's probably exposed pornography or his mates are sharing it around it, right? I've got to be realistic about that. So I have a way there of talking to him about and the responsibilities he had as a child growing up and the things he might be exposed to and, 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 and talking to him about that and making him aware of the what is behind all of that. And that's a really interest to be able to come and share yeah. Um, yeah. Again, I probably not answered the question how you wanted, but <laughs> I don't even remember the question. But that was fascinating. I think yeah. that like one of these interesting, like these amazing side effects of talk, like talking to really fascinating people as your job is that you get to absorb a lot of that interestingness and to be able to share it with your kids and the people around you is pretty special. Yeah, you do. Um, um, one of the things I found with this is that I struggle to hold very strong opinions on certain areas because I'm trying to see I'm trying to see everything from every point of view you know so I'm trying to see so pornography with that episode I'm trying to understand what it's like for a sexer and the experience that they go through and at the same time I'm trying to understand PayPal why they are not allowing sex work paid and when I'm you know if I was to cover say Brexit big thing in the UK at the moment I am super interested in both sides of the debate because it's so hostile it is a bit like Ethereum but Bitcoin you know there are people who are so desperate to leave Europe and I want to know why. And there are people who are so desperate to stay and I want to know why. And then that puts me in a position where I, I really struggle to hold a firm opinion on either because I empathize with both sides of the argument. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. Sometimes I I, I think I feel the same way. I, I spend so much time weighing different sides of topics. I feel like in my everyday life, I almost nihilism is not the right word, but sometimes it borders on that for me. Where I look at some topic that some of my peers or just people in social media seem to really care about. And I look at it, I'm like, mm, not obvious which, which side's better. And I don't know whether it matters what the outcome of that is. Or even if something does seem strictly better, it's you can understand why somebody else would feel differently. And and then it, it's less of a, your, your, your attention goes less towards the topic at hand and more towards, huh, it, it's pretty interesting that these people, even though I agree with their position, they're behaving this way and not seeing the like the, hum the humanness behind the other side or like understanding the motivations of that side. Um, it, it, I, I feel distance from issues because of that. Yeah. Yeah, it's it is um it's a really interesting place to be in because like I was very hard in Bitcoin, but I'm I can't help but have this curiosity around ethereum i can't help but have it i have this curiosity and why people are working on it what their motivations are but in doing so i kind of risk my reputation amongst bitcoin <laughs> it's a really strange place to be but you know it's not something i i hate it's just trying to adjust to it or you know sometimes i just want to make my decisions without worrying about what i think i'd love to be able to get any guests and not worry about what yeah think. you know i've got one person at the moment i'm thinking of doing an interview right he is part of the bitcoin cash community and i think there is a super interesting based on why they're involved in that their motivation and i've got a lot of critics throw at them and i'm i'm it's, 
I'm going to do it. I know. But I'm there going, oh, God, is it going to be what's going to come out? Mm-hmm. Is it going to be worth flaming and the bullshit? Will I pop at me? And will I lose part of my audience for that? You know, it is. Um, I wish I, I didn't have to think. Of- it's, uh, you know, that DJ Khaled uh, meme suffering from success. <laughs> yeah, but I don't think I'm successful. I <laughs> I'm not comfortable. I don't. I, I don't think I would ever be comfortable with saying I'm successful. It doesn't feel. I don't know. I just. I don't think. I don't feel comfortable saying it. Like I'm aware. Like the podcast is doing well, but I'd rather that come from somebody else than me. And I'd rather they say it to other people than say it. To yeah, I'm not always comfortable. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, so like, oh, yeah. That's is, that's that's a kind of a, is that an English thing or a British thing? Like the the humbleness? No, I think it's. Um, I think that's possibly a life lesson because I've. I have been a, mm. an ar- arrogant prick at times and uh, I can be, still be and I am a bit of an extrovert and I don't I look back on certain things behaviors and you know p- perhaps maybe that even led to part of my divorce you know I was so wrapped up in my company pay enough attention back home whatever whatever the reason is um I'm I'm conscious that it isn't a re- it's a personality trait um so it's not something I'm I'm super confident but I have been like that in the past yeah but maybe it is a british thing as well um the other thing is I don't want <sighs> You know, people want to tear you down the whole I don't I don't really want that. <laughs> I don't want people coming at me all the time. Yeah, I, you, I probably you don't I want to put a bigger also. target on your back no. than you already have. <laughs> yeah. I probably contradicted myself in in this. I don't know. I try and do, I try and do things as honestly as what will be will be out. I think anybody that matters will will see that. I certainly do. Um, and people are lucky to be able to learn alongside you. Yeah, I mean, like uh, a, a lot of what I've done come from help of other people uh, my friend rich roll who's a huge great guy yeah he helped me out with it uh, if it wasn't for him this podcast never would have happened um, chance meeting in life and he's helped me out a lot and i would be willing to help anyone if you know if any i get asked to go on a lot of podcasts i don't think i'm a great guest certainly not in on a big i don't think i know enough about it but i will always do it and i will always pay it forward uh, because you know people have done it for me and i think i think it's a good thing for us all to do that just try and pay some stuff forward i think it always comes back to- yeah that's a that's a great attitude. Um, so I, I, I'm not sure whether I'm going to be a podcaster as my occupation, but what advice would you give to me if I were to go down that path? Or even just to figure out whether it's something I wanted to pursue more? Well, my first bit of advice is decide whether you're going to do it or not. Okay, you, I'm going to do it. Yeah, because if you're not sure, then, I mean, maybe you will put the effort in. I don't know. I think if um, like your email newsletter is brilliant. I was more than happy to pay for it. And there are there are three or four that I really like. I like yours. I like Marty Ben. I like Pom. And I like Jill Carlson doesn't write as much, but when she does, I really, really like it. Oh, she's great. Um, but your your emails are brilliant. And if you produce that with the same consistency and brilliance, then your podcast will be great. Um, this is, you know, this has been a really good interview. We've done what, nearly an hour and a half without pause. Um, you've asked really good question uh, hopefully people will enjoy it i think if you i think you've just got to decide if you decide to do it then i think you need to commit to a period of time you know and what what, um, what does it need to do f- so if you say if you put a line in the santoni a year from 10th of uh, april 2020 wh- where do i want it to be do i want to have got plus 5,000 downloads per episode i want to have issued first invoice whatever it is you know set that line in the sand but give you i think you have to give yourself you know mm. i mean if you're if you're shaquille o'neal and decide to do a podcast it's going to be hugely successful straight away but if you're uh you know you or i where we hustle it i think you've got to give yourself a year and then say you know where does it need to be and where do i need to be you know like are you enjoying it because if you don't enjoy it then that's a but uh 
I would say the most important thing and make that decision first and then everything else will come from that. I mean, you you could, you're, you're friends with Pomp, you're friends with me, you've got two people there who will help you out. And so I don't think you'll struggle. And plus you've, you've got a good following. People like, I don't I don't think you'll struggle to get going. The relentinuation. Okay, so if, if you hear a, a, a Kia Forte slowly driving behind you, uh, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I think, uh, Tony, I think you'll be, you know, I mean, you've already, the other thing, builders, I mean, I'm sure you've got thousands of subscribers to your email or something, you know, or you've got your phone on Twitter. You've already done a lot of the hard work. You've got an audience there ready. It's how, you know, you then just got to package this up with some beautiful branding. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. And, and and I think one of my main concerns is I just want to, I'm going to get a lot of value from this because um, I just love having these conversations. They're They're like a huge highlight for me. And I, I noticed I was having these types of conversations. So after after I left Decentraland, I basically just had a string of conversations kind of similar to this, shorter, but um, along the lines of like, hey, I've been interested in what you're doing. Tell me about it. And that's when I, I decided, that's when I thought of like, well, might, might as well open source some of these conversations. Maybe they're helpful for other people. And so I think um, I... I am definitely very lucky to have the help of uh, folks like you and Pomp to kind of um, help remove some of the the like really uh, those could avoid some of the the setbacks that I would have otherwise run into just figuring it out on my own. Um, and so I, I think my my main thing is like, can I produce something that people get value from and um, I think to your point, yeah, you just have to wait and see. One thing I notice with all the people I speak to who are successful at podcasting, they just really enjoy doing it. You know, they really, really enjoy putting it together. Then the rest is going to come down to how you package it, how you promote it. And also, and then most importantly is the patient because it just takes it out. My friend, Rich Roll, he's, like I said, he's hugely successful, but he'll tell you about the first month, year where it was a grind and it was a hustle. Um, but I'm, you, you will be fine, Tony. Have you got a name for it? I can't remember. I didn't see if there's a name. Well, you, you said you like something to do. So I'm, yes. I'm doing that until uh, somebody says they hate it. And actually, so Anna, my uh, my wife, she said that she liked it enough. And she's usually my litmus test for anything that goes out to the public. When I, when I write, just... basically I write something and it's like, oh, this is brilliant. And then I show it to her and she's like, this is garbage. <laughs> and, and after I fix it from her feedback, it usually is actually good. Hold on. Did you just get married? I did. Yeah. Two weeks ago. Congratulations. Yeah, Thank I saw you. the picture. She, she's a beautiful woman. Congratulations. She sure Actually, is. You're, you're one of those annoyingly beautiful and the picture looked perfect. Was was it a good day? It was great. Yeah. It, it ended up being um, a lot of, uh, we, we designed it so it was basically just the union of the two direct families. So it's just a weekend uh-huh. of like family events. So, I mean, I, I didn't, I knew this going in that weddings weekends were really about the guests and not really the couple. Um, and we were really happy with the like the experience that everybody around us had um and you know we have plenty of time to celebrate our marriage just day to day has anything changed two weeks no not not at all really except like it was pretty funny that after we got married um i left to central land so it's like just sign the papers and then tony's not bringing income in anymore <laughs> <laughs> 
but but she's been uh, she's been really supportive it wasn't a surprise um well I'm, well i'm sure you'll be a huge no doubt and i, I like i say i can't wait to listen to, i don't want to listen to this because i hate my own voice but i yeah, do, do you listen to your own podcast i do actually because i edit each one oh, I, have, wow. I want i want to listen to the episode in full and check that i'm happy and uh, so i have a little bit of a sometimes a stutter when i ask a question so i want to cut those out but i want to listen back also just keep the notes so i listen to each one back now which does take time and you know there'll maybe come a day where i'll produce but um i, I listen to each one back but i, I really hate my, but i think we all do everybody really does yeah it. yeah so <laughs> i'm I, envious I, of yours I, I won't uh well yeah with the whole british zach vole you're only successful but <laughs> not, i i don't like listening to my own voice back um so i won't listen to this episode but i'm looking forward to seeing who else you get on and i would be do you know what? i'd be really interested to hear you interview carl samani i i probably will yeah. I mean, I've interviewed him twice. One was good. One I thought I was I did a job. I find him a very interesting character. What 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 kind of stuff would you be most interested in? His thought process and the way he works and um his driver. I I imagine if you have a um if you had like a spectrum of personally driven ambition versus um more kind of electric uh, uh, curiosity about learning i think he's much more on the entrepreneurial highly driven and that's why i think sometimes maybe he like polarizes yeah but you know i can't i would be lying if i said i haven't taken a couple of things out of his playbook absolutely because i have um i don't agree with him on everything um but i would just find i would find it interesting to because i you obviously know him and i think i think you would get an interesting interview definitely i'll, I'll let you know um if and when it happens i'll i'll solicit some questions from you <laughs> okay cool <laughs> Um, cool. Well, thanks, Peter, for taking the time. I had a really awesome time and learned a ton. Is there, um, wh where can people find you on the internet? Well, if you Google what Bitcoin did, you'll find either side cast is what Bitcoin did. It's what Bitcoin did everywhere. Um, my personal Twitter is Peter McCormack. DMs are open. Anyone wants to launch a podcast, thinks I might be able to help them in any way, please reach out. But yeah, that's that's it. But yeah, good luck with this, man. I've really enjoyed it myself. Thank you. Subscribe to what Bitcoin did. And follow along for the sister podcast soon, too. Yep. Cheers. Thank you. Click here to apply is made possible by members of TonyShang.com. To become a member, go to TonyShang.com and click the membership button. If you enjoyed this episode, please support the show by subscribing and reviewing the show. You might find your review featured in a future episode of Click Here to Apply. Got a question or suggestion? Tweet at me at TonyShang on Twitter. My DMs are also open. Thanks for listening and see you next time.